The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is a WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Scott Walker. This morning, we have got a two-part show, and during the first half of the program, we've got Bart Walker talking to Peter Demas about motivating things in life and much more. And then on the second half of the show, we have Rutherford County Commissioner Craig Harris joining us. Now, Bart Walker with Peter Demas, motivating things in life. Peter Demas is with us this morning from Demas Restaurant. We're going to be talking about the books that he's written. We're going to be talking about his thoughts. And many of those are thoughts that will benefit you. Peter, thank you for joining us again. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me here. We want to start by telling people your latest book is available right now. Can they get it over at Demas Restaurant? Yes, you can get it at Demas's Restaurant, or you can go to my website, uh, which is uh, www.peterdemas.org. And you can buy the book directly from there, as well as also see other videos of past episodes of a TV show. Tell us about that TV show. Yeah, I was interviewed um, on a TV station called Benevolent Faith TV. It's an internet TV that you can get. Um, you can you get through Roku. Uh, it's uh, through Stream Network. The owner of the uh, the station contacted me and said he'd like for me to do a show. So I decided to, after a lot of questions, I never go easy on anything I do. And um, so... After a lot of questions back and forth, I decided to go ahead and do it, and uh, it's called Constructive Christianity, and it kind of talks about kind of the practical ways that we can put our faith into practice and into work, and it addresses some of the issues of culture that's around and kind of uh, debunks some of the myths that, that are around there, but also, again, teaches us how to use our faith as opposed to just understanding it from a theological perspective. For people who are tuned in and they're thinking to themselves, how does he have that background, the ability to express himself, to do all of these things? How did he get that in the restaurant business? I think what people don't realize, you have more than that background. I'm also a lawyer. I'm an over-educated pot and pan washer. But in reality is, is, is uh, I, when I, when I uh, was saved, um, I had a thirst for Christ and a hunger for Christ that I've never experienced um, anything like that before. And have uh, just just read and studied um, as much as I can of the word, so that I can understand it and apply it. And then finding out that many people, even very strong Christians who've been going to church their entire life, many of them didn't understand how to apply their faith into into practice. And that seemed to be areas that we would discuss and talk about. And and as a result, it's kind of moved in that direction. Did this begin? With the pandemic, I don't remember this much uh, conversation, whether it was from you or from anyone else, until after the pandemic, which brought about all types of stresses in our economy with people, turned everything upside down almost. You know, I think the stresses have always been there. It wasn't as obvious. We weren't as, it's it's almost like it was just so built up and then the, with being shut down and with the divisiveness within people surrounding COVID and what should be done and not done and the extremes on both sides of, of it with everybody else getting caught in the middle. 
I think that has just made people want to explode at times. I mean, I'm certain everybody can understand that you just take it, you take it, take it, and you explode at the wrong person, at the wrong thing. I mean, and we've all kind of messed up in that area, and it sometimes it's over something really, really dumb. I think we're all guilty of that, but I think this just kind of exposed what had already been there for many, many years uh, that we just didn't realize. I think the simplest thing is this, is that we get to see who we are without Christ. And that's the true nature of who we are we're seeing out in the world today. So this goes back to a statement you have in one of your books, When to Say No. Yes. There are times where, where we're seeing a, a lot of, of people asking us to do something, not only or to celebrate stuff that, that we know is not right. And uh, regardless of what it is, regardless of what the, the subject is, when we know it's not right, we don't know necessarily how to say no and how to engage in saying no and and when to do it and when not to do it. I think it's also very important to understand when not to when not saying no. So for example, you know, I may not agree with the use of taxes that that our government spends. I I, I don't agree with a lot of the stuff they spend on the money that I give them. However, I don't have the right to say no on that. That is not something that my right the Bible's very clear that we are to pay our taxes and they pay taxes to a very ruthless regime um, that that makes us look very tame in comparison. And uh, but you know, when when we had to pay taxes, or it was instructed to Christians to pay taxes, then the same rules apply now. Um, so that would be an example of it. But if somebody is asking you to celebrate something that that is clearly against the Bible um, and clearly against what God is wanting us to do, then we have to say no. And I think the most obvious. Um, historical example of that would be Nazi Germany. You know, when they were saying you have to give up Jews um, in order to take them to the Holocaust, and there were many Christians that stood up to that and said, this isn't right, stood up against the Nazis of it, or hid Jews, or did whatever they could do to stop that regime from ruling. And I think as we move closer to the end of times, we're going to start seeing other situations like it, and we need to be better prepared. Standing up is the hard thing to do. Oh, it's very hard to do. But recognize also at the very end of, you know, at the, at the end of your life, right after you die, you have to stand up alone in front of Jesus. You know, and that's, that's a hard reality that we have. We, we don't get to hide in the group and when we stand and face him, uh, you know, as, as we have to account for, for our actions. We have to stand alone then. Standing alone is something that, that, that we're required to do, and it's uncomfortable and no one wants to do it. Um, I'd much rather stand in the middle of a group and keep my head down and have someone else speak on my behalf. But reality is, is that's not what we're called to do. We're called to speak up. We all have our own thoughts on when these issues became real problems. Probably one that you had mentioned prior to the broadcast was when they took prayer out of schools. Yeah, you know, it, what I see is I see this as a, just a great analogy of what we're seeing today. So in you know, 1962, the Supreme Court said, you know, that, that, that uh, there shouldn't be prayer in public schools anymore. In 63, they, they doubled down on it and made it, made it tougher and, and more restrictive uh, for schools. A couple of years after that, we see the sexual revolution born, and um, at least in this country, and, and we see it flourish. In fact, in 1974, uh, Playboy had the highest uh, circulation that they've ever seen, and they've been around since the 50s. Uh, before or since, um, because people were so overly sexualized, they were they couldn't get enough of it, and we see that 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 was a small reaction to what happens when you take God out of schools and you start to start removing him out of schools. 
So what do you think happens when we started taking closing down churches in 2020? When we start taking even lukewarm Christians would attend church. And you know, so they can at least have some basic understandings of right or wrong. And now that, that that's happening, it's not a surprise that we're seeing the level of evil um, uh, flourish in our country that we're seeing right now and level of lawlessness that we're seeing right now. It's not about a politician, but it's about the fact that they separated, completely separated many people from church and from, from their faith. And each year the margin is pushed even farther. You, you, you see it, you know, because at first it's like, well, we just want you to accept. And then it's the, well, we want you to, you know, we want you to, to embrace it. And now, you, you know, it goes beyond acceptance. And then now we want you to celebrate it. And you're wrong on each of the steps as you go through. And you can see it. It's very clear when you can kind of look back and see the, the arguments on it from there. Now, I'm certain that people who are very uh, anti-Christian that are very strong atheists would argue the exact same that, that we're just wanting a slippery slope. And what they're arguing is we want a slippery slope back to biblical principles where they have to cover their head and, and you know, all the way back to uh, you know, Old Testament you know, laws. And, and that's not the way Christianity works. It's, that's, not the, what it, that's not even close to the way that works. Um, and no Christian I know would want to really advocate going back to the law because that's otherwise why would Christ have died for us. But at the same time, uh, we have seen an increase of lawlessness and celebration of it, and and it's frightening for people. I think that that are seeing it and they just don't know how to respond, how to react, and they're discouraged and they're afraid that they're going to be called out and ridiculed if they stand up for it. I don't think we've ever seen the number of people who don't want to work, and yet you see businesses offering huge amounts of money for people to work. What is the problem there. I mean, there's a huge difference between those who are working and those who are wanting workers. There's, there's a whole lot of, of arguments on that, whether or not it's government money giving it to them, whether it's drugs, whether whatever the situation happens to be. I have my own theories on it, but I don't know if I'm 100% correct on, on, on why, why it's that way. And, you know, so if anybody, like we have a personal conversation, I'll, I'll express my opinion and you can express yours and we'll be good with that. However, I can say this, is that what we are seeing is that people are striving to get away from work in the sense that we, we are searching so desperately for a peace that is outside of what Christ can offer. And as a result of us searching for that peace, we think, well, if work causes me stress, then anything that's not stress has to be peace. And so therefore, I have to work less. And we're also seeing such a loss, as particularly among men, of this idea that we are responsible for things, that we have levels of responsibility. And, and when, when we, men don't, aren't responsible for things, we get in trouble. I know I, I, I was a great example of that. I was not a great kid. Um, I got myself in trouble a whole lot. As soon as I started working and going to school and didn't have a whole lot of free time, then I stopped getting myself in trouble because I didn't have a whole lot of time to get myself in trouble, but I also felt proud of the work that I was doing and the level of responsibility I had. And we see people change when they have children, when they get married, but I think now we're not seeing that as much because this idea that men have responsibilities has completely gone out the window. And now we want to work less to try to find peace. And when we can't find it, then we try to say, okay, well, if I just smoke pot, I can have peace because it makes me feel good for a moment, even though levels of depression have gone up, levels of suicide have gone up, even though 
we give more anti-anxiety medication. Uh, pot use is legalized in many places, or at least not enforced even where it is legal. We see all of this, and it's just a striving for peace that they're never going to be able to find in this world. We're talking with Peter Demas, if you just tuned in, and the information that you're hearing this morning is partially in his new book. Some of it's in his older books, too. So you might want to read all of his works and see if it might help you. And it's a strange thing, Peter, because as we both have seen, fewer and fewer people are taking advantage of job opportunities. I mean, I don't recall ever seeing a time when law enforcement agencies, retail businesses, every business, school teachers, doctors, they're all begging for people people who want to work, and they're giving them all sorts of financial incentives. You know, again, it's, it's not about money. You know, it, it's just, it's not. Um, it, it's, again, it's, it's, it's about something that's much deeper than that. It's, it's about fulfillment. And I, I, I saw, I actually discussed this on one of my shows um, recently. I saw a, you know, one of those little internet signs, and it said, you know, no one will care you know, no one will remember that you responded to an email late at night except for your child. And and I was like, well, first of all, why is that the standard? Why is your, your child remembering that as a standard, number one? Number two, what if you had to answer that email that prevented somebody from losing their job? I think they might remember the fact that you answered it. What if what, if what you're doing causes something that is much greater than than just responding to that email. Now, I'm not an advocate of ignoring your family for work and, and becoming a workaholic. I'm not that at all. But I do think there is a balance that we need to take. When I'm at home, I'm at home. If there's an emergency, I will have to deal with the emergency. And I have to explain to, explain to my children why it is that I had to work at this particular point in time. Have I messed up and gone too far? Yes. Have I messed up and gone too far the other way? Yes. We're all going to mess up and go too far in both directions. But this idea that that... That, that work is bad and it's secondary means that you probably need to find a new job or at least you need to understand the purpose behind it and who you're helping by taking by, by doing your work. It's not just again getting a paycheck. You know in our restaurant, you know people don't eat out because they're hungry. They eat out for the experience. They eat out because I can have a piece of bread and satisfy my hunger. You go to a restaurant for something much greater than that. And so when we, uh, when we serve them, we recognize we're serving them because sometimes lunch is the highlight of their day. You know, dinner is the time where they might be able to get together with family. It's the only time they might be able to, to sit down as a family with our busy lives around us. You know, it's so much more than just I'm giving you food and you're giving me money. That's not how, that's not how a job works. It's so much greater than that. Is it difficult to get that across to the people who work with you on this? Sometimes, you know, we, we teach it right from the start. You know, when they come in, you know, through with orientation, we, we the, the first day of orientation, we talk about our history, our purpose, and our values. And that's and, and that's really all we're teaching them is our culture. Um, and then we start teaching them on day two. We start teaching them the, the, the fundamentals of, of how to do the job that they're doing. So we, we have a lot of people that will quit us um, after the first day. They're like, this is not what I signed up for. I don't, I don't want to be part of something bigger. They just want to get a paycheck. But I think the majority of people understand it. Uh, they may not understand the little minutia on certain things of, you know, the, the, the reason why we make certain that we put the broom in this right spot is actually for a customer. That's kind of hard for some people to grasp. 
you know, but we put the broom in the right spot. So if there's a spill, we can clean it up quickly so that no one slips and falls and then creates problems, which will ultimately not only hurt your employee, potentially your employee or potentially a customer. So having the broom there, so we're not searching for it when there's a problem. That's sometimes kind of hard to make that connection. But reality is, is that that connection is there. And, and oddly enough, there's a lot of studies done and we, we, we show them the studies that cleanliness actually increases morale, that organization increases morale. I mean, even, uh, and, and it's this worldwide studies that, that show that, that workers are happy in a clean, organized environment. But, but telling somebody who is just wanting to put the broom like in the first spot that's near them might be a little hard for them to understand that. So we, we, we try to emphasize it and point it out over and over again. Our guest this morning is Peter Demas. We're talking about life and hopefully a way to improve life. If we go back far enough, was there ever a time when we did not have these problems or were they with us all along and we just are not aware of that? You know, that's a good question. I, 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 I play with that thought in my head a lot. And the reason why is because, you know, I remember complaining about the labor market, but it wasn't near as bad as what it is now. I remember complaining about work ethic, but it's not near as bad as it is now. I don't know if it's... I don't know if it's gotten worse or gotten better, but I can I can say this I, as somebody who who was not a Christian. I attended church, but I was not a Christian. Um, I do know that the people I was around operated with more Christian values and Christian principles than they do now, and I do think that is the 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 big difference between what we're seeing now and what we're seeing then. Whereas before, we may have just wanted to stay at home and not go to work. We may not have wanted to comply or, or show respect to, to our bosses or to our or elders or, or someone like that. Um, it, it may, and we may not have done it consistently. But I think as we lose those values and more and more people don't know them and understand them, which again is why I think it's so critical that, that we bring back some level of, of faith back into the schools and teach them about the principles that Christianity has to offer um, because they're not getting it any other way, you know, because they're not going to church. And many times these churches aren't teaching the right principles either. Um, I think the, the idea that, that I go to church, I'm a Christian is, is, a, is a really false idea. And, and when they're losing those principles, then they can't apply it in their, in their day-to-day lives. And when you can't apply it in their day-to-day lives, we're seeing the impact on it that goes not only to the extreme that we're seeing on Twitter and, you know, and, and, and Fox News and CNN, but we're also seeing it just in little things such as the work ethic that we're just discussing now. As you had said, you were attending church, but you were not a Christian. Right. Did you know that? No, you know, that was the funny thing is that I wouldn't, I didn't know. Um, I would have, if anybody asked me, I would have said I was a Christian. And the reason why I would have said I was a Christian was because I wasn't a Buddhist. I wasn't a Muslim. I, 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 I never was an atheist because I said it required more faith to be an atheist than to believe there was a God. But I wasn't a Christian because even though I thought there was a God um, and, and, and I believed more and I believed there was a person of Jesus, um, I, I did not like him. Um, and, um, I, I just, I didn't, I didn't want to have anything to do with them. Um, and as a result, you know, and, and I wasn't, that wasn't something I was going to openly speak out in front of a lot of people because that was not the bad, that was not a good thing to say, but in reality was, that's how I felt. And it wasn't until I got to 
truly meet Christ and and um, uh, and and develop and understand that it's a relationship and not just rules that you live by. Once I realized that, then everything completely changed. But also, all my fear, insecurities, all that, um, all, all of that went away as well. Now, do I still battle it from time? Yes, absolutely. But I know how to get through it because I know how to get through it using the principles that Christ teaches. Peter, we have people right now listening, and I, I can really feel this. Their ears perked up when you described what you went through. And they're going through that same thing right now. What made you change, and how can they change? Well, there's a couple of things. I think the, the, the best thing to do is, is if, if you're not a Christian, to, to ask and find, you know, ask God to, to reveal himself to you and let him reveal, re- reveal himself in, in a way um, and, and try to learn and, and learn what he's teaching. I, I encourage everybody to read the Bible, whether they're Christian or not a Christian, just to see what it has to say, because it's not that I'm brilliant, I'm, because I'm not. Um, um, but, the, but the Word of God is, is, I don't understand it all, but it's perfect in his logic, and it's, it's perfect in its, its brilliance. And um, uh, so I would encourage people, and I would start in the New Testament, not in the Old if you're not a Christian. It's, sometimes it's hard to kind of get to the Old Testament without knowing the history behind it and understanding where some of that comes in. If you are a Christian, um, I, I can say this. In Isaiah, it says, you put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Recently, I went through some some really hard times, some really just self-doubt and um, was struggling and you know, I just kind of beat myself up. And no matter what I was saying or doing, I was like, well, no one's going to listen to you anyway. You're not, yeah. And you just start going through all of this and it just, I couldn't get out of it. And it was just, I was having a hard time. And I remembered that verse and the advice I've given people in the past on it. So I just, I just stopped and then I journaled. I just wrote all the things that I was thankful for God on. It was the first thing I did. The, the, that day I, I turned off anything that was negative news. I turned off stand up comedy. I love stand up comedy. And, and I turned that off because that had a negative connotation. I only listened to sermons and, and, and Christian music. I was just it. Nothing from that else. From day on. For, well, for, yeah, for that day. And then, and then about three days later, um, all I did was just put on everything, everything I breathed in, everything I breathed out was going to be positive. And about three days later, it was completely gone. Like that, that feeling of, of um, and I, I don't know like what, if it would have been called clinical depression or whatever, but that feeling of depression I have, and again, the Bible calls it a heaviness. And those who are who are battling that understand that word of heaviness, that that feeling that everything's on top of you, that you can't breathe. All of that can go away by changing your attitude within and and forcing out more of praise and thanksgiving and 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 being thankful of the little things that are around you that you don't even pay attention to normally. So your children, your job, Everything. Everything. It can be. It can be literally that I'm that I'm waking up. That I live in a community. That that I have a gas stations that are almost in every corner. If I need to get gas, that I have a grocery store. You know, grocery store. There's so many parts of the world that that don't have that. Um, you know that that they you know, that they can't just go to a grocery store and buy cookies and um and uh and 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 broccoli and, and a frozen pizza all in the same spot. You know, that's just not gonna, that's just not gonna happen in some places. But I can also be thankful, um, you know, just thankful when you, when you start looking and focusing on the things that God has created, such as just the trees. And you think about 
all the stuff that God has done adding those trees and what they do to help us be able to live and breathe and just the components of a tree and like how the leaves will fall on some trees but not on other trees and you just start looking at the stuff around you that God created it's utterly amazing when you start and you just keep going down that list and you just got to be so thankful that he is so so far beyond us in intelligence that he can understand to create all that where we can barely catch up in understanding like how it works we seem to live in a world that is full of fake news i mean that's a popular word these days but it really is out there social media runs it through our minds on a regular basis, and we think it's real sometimes. Do you look at social media, and when you look at it, how do you keep from falling back into that pit of negativism? If I start feeling myself going there, then I don't look at it, to, to answer your question. I, I, I will I will look at social media um, when I'm in a much better spot, um, and I will look at it during those times. Um, but I look at it mostly in the sense of, you know, if I'm watching something kind of harmless, like, you know, um, dog videos, you know, something like that is relatively harmless. Again, I won't even take a chance when I'm in the other spot because I can, see, you, you, if I don't want to fall, I don't walk in slippery places. <laughs> so, um, you know, so I help coach um, soccer. And so I watch it, look at soccer videos on social media. Um, but but when I look at other political videos, I, you know, and, and things, I, I look at it more as just kind of a to, to laugh at. It's just kind of funny to to see how people are, and I just and I don't look at it in the sense of that it's real. Um, if I see something that I think is real and is alarming, then I do the research. I'm, I'm not just going to take it for for the word or for word of it. And this is not a new thing. You know, fake news was around in the late 1800s when the Spanish American War was created. I mean. It's the very famous line of, you know, um, you know, basically if I can't remember now, but something, you know, if you basically, if you sell these papers, I'll give you a war, you know, and, and with Hearst, I mean, he create he created a war so that, that he can be, be sell his papers, you know, back in the mid 1800s, early 1800s, Kierkegaard, um, actually wrote in, in his Christian writings that his fear was, was that people follow this press, this anonymous press, you know, completely and, uh, was worried of the impact that it would have on individual uh, individuals in their faith in their faith journey. So I think this is not a new problem to have. I think the the way that we see it is, and it comes at us differently. And that's the other piece that I I try not to listen to the news. I I um uh, you know I will listen uh, again when I'm in the in the right spot. But when you listen to something versus read it, there's more of an emotional component when something enters your ear. Than when something it just kind of goes through your eyes because when you have your eyes and you read it you have to process it. Now I know it's kind of odd I'm on the radio where everyone's listening right now. Um, you know so it's not saying that again that it's bad to listen to it or it's bad to watch the news or anything of that nature. But when you're going through those moments again you need to turn it off just just for a period of time. It's not not forever just for a period of time. But it doesn't mean that you don't get to stay engaged. It doesn't mean you get don't get to. It's not sticking your head in the sand. It just means I just need to take a break just to kind of go out and, and, and just kind of sharpen myself a little bit. So as we review what you did to change things back to a life that is God-controlled, you discovered that you had this problem and you took measures to get negativism out of your life. The Bible is very clear, and again, this is why I encourage people to read the Bible. I think Bible illiteracy is, is a very dangerous thing. 
And, you know, because again, you know, you get that from Isaiah, you know, the place where people talk about, you know, well, the Old Testament's all full of, of anger and vengeance, and it's not. I mean, it's, it's so full of God's love, it's unreal. But, you know, that, that's where you get something there from. But you also see it in other areas. You know, in, in 2 Timothy, when Paul's saying, you know, uh, Timothy, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but he gave you one of love, power, and self-control. You know, Timothy at that time was experiencing, you know, Nero was, was going after the Christians. He was going after them um, at a, at a at, that's when all that was happening. So when you read 1 Timothy, uh, Timothy was thriving in this gigantic church. And in the second Timothy, you know, they started attacking Christians and Timothy was the leader of one of the largest church in the Roman Empire. And so he knew that he was probably going to become under attack and was probably a little scared. So as a result of that, we see Timothy uh, or Paul warned Timothy, don't fall into that trap of listening to yourself here, but recognize who, what God has given you and who he really is. Before we leave today, I want people to know about your books, all of your writings, and is there another book on the horizon? Actually, there is. Um, I'm working on a. I'm working on a, a, another book. When I read the Old Testament, of how we can look at the prophecies of the Old Testament and what countries did to anger God, to say, okay, you know, what we need to avoid as a country to not only not anger God, but also how we can turn and change from that so that we don't end up experiencing you know, God's wrath and judgment more than what we've already had. And I, and I think that, that, so it's a book to kind of analyze the problems that we're at as a country, but also how we can turn back and how we can change and, and ultimately hopefully save our country. As I was reading through the Old Testament prophets, I saw so much that, that, that impacted the, the U.S. that the U.S. is doing. And I think there are so many warnings in there to countries, uh, not just the ones that not, not just Israel and Judah, but also all the countries that God said, look, I'm judging these countries because they didn't do this. And when you, when you consolidate it down, you start seeing a pattern. And I, I see areas of which our country is falling into the, that pattern. And as a result, I think we need to be careful as a country and also learn how we can turn back, how we can save our country um, from experiencing God's wrath and judgment. Uh, and some people are arguing that we're experiencing it now, and I don't necessarily disagree, but at the same time, I still think there are ways of which we can, uh, again, turn back and turn our ways back to God and find favor back in God's eyes again. And for those of you who have not read his earlier books, you need to get a copy of that. It will change your life for the positive. Peter Demas has been our guest this morning. You know his family, you know the name. Davis Family Restaurant. They've been serving this area for decades, making people happy. And now he continues to make people happy by positively changing lives. Peter, thank you for joining us. I thank you. I appreciate it. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Weight loss has always been a struggle for me, but thanks to Magnolia Medical Center, the semaglutide injection has helped me to lose 60 pounds, and I've actually kept it off. Magnolia Medical Center can help. This is Dr. David Morris with Magnolia Medical Center in Murfreesboro, online at magnoliamedicalcenters.com. Hi, this is Amanda from Animal City, and our hand-fed baby bird nursery is starting to fill up. If you are looking for your next sweet feathered companion, come in and see us. Find your next pre-loved, pre-spoiled pet here at Animal City. 
be sure to check out our downstairs level. Here at Animal City, we would like to thank Murfreesboro for letting us be your family-owned and operated pet store for 33 years. Animal City is located at 919 Northwest Broad Street. This is Peter Demas inviting you to enjoy a meal with our family at Demas's Restaurant. With cold and flu season here, nothing helps my family more than having the Demas's baked chicken and rice soup. It was a soup that was created by my grandmother, and we not only sell it by the cup, but we also sell it by the quart, by the half gallon, and by the gallon. So stop by anytime today and bring soup to your family that may be sick or a friend that's in sick, or just to enjoy it just because it tastes so good. Demas's Restaurant. Adam's Place was a very, very good thing for us to do at our ages or earlier because I would have been more able to do a lot of the things that are here for us to help us keep feeling younger. Now, consider this. I saw this young lady with her father. She said, yeah, I'm trying to convince my dad that it's better to move in five years earlier than the five minutes too late. I'm Terry Deal. Call me about Adam's Place, 1927 Memorial Boulevard, across from Walmart. Call Adam's Place today, 615-904-9111. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, capstarbank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Right now that time, 8.45. Now, on this part of the show, on the second half of the program, we have Rutherford County Commissioner Craig Harris, who is in studio with us this morning. How are you? Good, Scott. Thanks for having me. Well, there is a lot happening in the county. It seems like, man, we grow so fast, so new things come up all the time. But one thing that has been a topic of discussion for a few years now is a forensic center here in Rutherford County. First of all, what what was that proposed forensic center about? What were they proposing? Well, during budget time, you know, the mayor uh, wanted to uh, build a forensic center, and he said that uh, we would get money from the state. And so we allocated $5 million for the Forensic Center based on the fact that we get funds from the state. And uh, we were unable to uh, get anything from the state. So there was a push for uh, the mayor to try to get the commission and, and uh, to pay, I think it was $12 million is what he was proposing. But he also was saying that they're going to take another shot at the state and then there's a... Uh, I think he said last night about the Houston uh, organization, Houston Society, but um, it failed last night in uh, budget. So it's, I believe it's dead right now, and and uh, it's not going to go uh, any further. And this proposed forensic center, it was going to include a morgue, a medical examiner's office, and more. And from what I understood, they would also have MTSU students there interning who are part of certain programs. But all of this is now gone. Well, it failed last night, so there won't be any uh, funding for architect and engineering. So, yes, it did have some of those. Uh, it did have medical examiner, and it had uh, some participation with uh, MTSU, and it also had a uh, ambulance 
center for uh you know to, to house the ambulance center unit but um you know i think it lost last night five to two i was for it uh you know but it was just uh just nobody wanted to go through there right now without any funds you know being allocated for it so it was, i think it was just too broad and and just not enough information and, and commissioners kind of strayed away from that do you think this will come back up in the near future you know it being reproposed i think so you know i think the you know we hired a lobbyist and uh he is uh he working for rutherford county and and he feels like he can get some funds for this and hopefully if that comes up then we can re you know revisit it so if funds were available this would really serve rutherford county in a positive way because you know i hate to say it but there are a lot of deaths in rutherford county because we are such a large county yeah and we spend uh you know i think over three hundred thousand dollars for autopsies right now you know currently in nashville and Nashville's getting pretty full, and it's starting to take a lot of time. So I see the need for it, but like I said, it's it's in a situation where we got to have funding for it, and it's just not there. Now, moving on to another topic, I, I know opioid abuse is still a major problem in Rutherford County, across the country, really. But what are we doing here locally? Well, you know, one of the things that uh, I've always been strong uh, proponent of this i've always tried to work hard and, and i ran on this issue and I, rutherford county is making some strides you know we had gotten money from lawsuits um from pharmaceutical uh, lawsuits and settlements and you know like right now we have about two million dollars in the in the bank for us to to provide help and, uh, and you know activists here and organizations here and also looking into hire peer counselors uh for federal government i mean for the county government and uh, we just okayed a new peer counselor for probation and some things i'm really proud of and and scott this is it sounds um it sounds different but there was an organization that came to us called interfaith dental you know and you think about that on the top you're like dental you know how's that with recovery but what they do is they work on the teeth of those who are addicted to drugs and fix their teeth and gives them back their self-esteem. You know, because, Scott, if me and you had, you know, terrible teeth or any teeth, you, we're not smiling. And it's it was a big emphasis on recovery. And I, and I didn't know that. And I got to looking into it and I thought, man, that's, that's something else, you know. But we also gave organizations to Doors of Hope. To help women, um, we gave one. We gave some uh, money to an organization called Hustle Recovery, and what they do is, when someone is arrested or someone is looking to go into rehab, because of so many um, requests, you just can't get into a bed all the time, you know. And a lot of people are, are you know, don't have the money to do or the insurance to go in there, like you know, people that can have jobs and stuff like that, you know, so they are degenerate and don't have any money. So those beds are available, but they don't come open all the time. So what Hustle Recovery does is they house these uh, people until uh, a bed is available because there's a lot of things that can happen. They can uh, relapse. They can die. 
And these uh, organizations, Hustle and Cover, they hold the, those in there up to, I think, four or five days. And and then they give them a ride to the to the bed. I, and I just think that was something. It hadn't been done in Rutherford County, and there was no data. And, and I felt like the the board that I created and the good people that work on it, I mean, they're all stars. We took a chance, and it's working. Again, Rutherford County Commissioner Craig Harris in studio with us this morning. And that Rutherford Opioid Board that you created, it came with a lot of funds. And some of those funds you were just talking about, but you're the one who really spearheaded in getting those funds for Rutherford County. Well, I mean, what a, you know, me and uh, when I came into office, uh, we had, uh, you know, Mayor Carr was the, was the mayor. And we had a lawsuit that was against pharmaceutical companies and we were we we're kind of jumping on board with the state of tennessee well when me and uh mayor carr got in i mean mayor carr uh, mayor ketrin we felt like we need to do our own thing because we were kind of looking back at the tobacco settlement and you know just you could spend that on anything and i wanted us and the state told you what to spend it on I wanted us to do our own. I want us to spend the money on what we want to spend the money on. And so uh, we went on our own in a class action suit. And, you know, that's a big risk. But we did it. Uh, unfortunately, when settlements come in, you know, you got to do compromise. And we ended up getting a right at 30% to do to what we want. Did any other county do this on their own, or was it just a standalone Rutherford County doing this? No, it's standalone. We ended up, when the settlement came down, they asked, you know, if they could unite all the lawsuits, and we did that and ended up, you know, getting, I think we got laid at $2 million this year, and I think we get $2 million every year for 18 years. And i just seen where uh, the Biden administration just allocated uh, – Four hundred billion, four hundred million dollars, or, or I don't know how much it was, but a substantial amount. And that money will come to the state of Tennessee. They get a portion of that, and that money will go into their abatement council, and that will be distributed to us. So there's also a couple other lawsuits that are out there that are settling, and that money will come too. And I think we'll get a substantial amount. Now, the opioid abuse that we're seeing here in Rutherford County, is there a certain age group that it affects more so than others? Yeah, and, and you know, this is this will blow your mind is um, most of the deaths are anywhere between 45 to 50-year-old white males. And I, that just blows my mind. I never would have thought that. I, but yeah. 18 to 24 is a really high impact and a really high number for overdoses and abuse. Now, are most of these people who are dying of an overdose, is it because they bought fake opioid pills and they turned out to be fentanyl? What was the situation for a lot of them? Well, heroin was a big thing in 2018, but fentanyl right now is just dominating everything. You know, and we had uh, just our numbers in fentanyl are really high. And a lot of people are dying from, I think it was 80 to 85% of our deaths were fentanyl. So it is bad. It is here. And, you know, we have um, the thing that scares me, Scott, and I'm really scared, is um, when fentanyl gets into marijuana, you know, because a majority of young kids and young adults smoke marijuana. I guess I didn't know people were putting it in marijuana. We've had a couple of cases and, you know, and it's uh, it's very scary to me. And and I think um, the way people are dying from fentanyl because it's in everything. 
and it's it's a it's it's a nightmare, and and we're dealing with that. It's here in Rutherford County. It's not coming. It's here. I know when I was in college, people were lacing marijuana joints with cocaine, mm-hmm. which is dangerous enough. But lacing it with fentanyl because you know it only takes just a, a small you know gram, the the size of a grain of salt, to yeah. kill a person. I, I mean, and that will knock out an elephant that's how strong it is well it's you know one of the things i've seen uh and and uh, experienced with uh law enforcement is some of the drug dealers they will take fentanyl and when they you know split the the drugs up into bags and 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 sell it on some bags they will put extra fentanyl so you od so you would actually overdose and then the people that, that overdose, they think, well, this is the strong stuff, and they buy it. It actually increases their sales, wow. you know, and and I, I think those people, those kind of, you know, drug dealers that do that, I mean, man, there's a special place for them, you know. And there has been several arrests made in Middle Tennessee of drug dealers who were selling fentanyl because yes. somebody died, and they, they were faced with murder charges. Well, fentanyl, you know, it's coming across the border, and and you know, people always, well, I'm not on, we're not a border uh, state. Well, it affects us. I mean, people don't realize that the border affects us just like it does, you know, a, a uh, surrounding county on the on the uh, border. But um, it's here, it's dangerous, and it's not loosening it up at all. Man, it's crazy how opioids have have impacted rutherford county i, I mean because you were talking about 80 something deaths it's just nuts yeah well it's it's going to be higher this year so you know it's like when covid hit you know we had some deaths well we had a lot of opioid deaths you know and then when people were recovering from uh, uh recovering from drugs and all that isolation man it, it set a lot of people back it had a lot our suicides went up so you know, we put out an education program about uh, two years ago in our schools, and we did it in three schools. It was uh, three schools in Smyrna, and of course, you know, COVID killed it. COVID just came in and wiped every all the momentum we had just completely wiped out. And then finally, COVID was over. We got with the school superintendent, and he said, "Hey, Craig, I got your back. We're going to do this." We did it, and then we had to wait that long year for data. Data came in. It was just off the charts. I mean, it was successful, and now we're going to have it in 12 schools. And then we hopefully will have it in 25 by 2025. So more opioid education and drug education in our county schools, that's a positive. It's a it's unbelievable, the data that came back. I mean, it was in the high 70s, you know, people – attaining this knowledge and, and, and understanding it. And, you know, I've always felt like, you know, let's quit giving this, uh, quit giving this epidemic, you know, more victims, you know, we need to teach our kids that how dangerous this is, you know, and that's what I'm, I'm looking at. Again, Rutherford County Commissioner Craig Harris has been our guest this morning. We're already out of time. Let's, uh, let's have you back again in the near future. Sounds good. Right now that time, 9 o'clock, you're listening to WGNS Murphy's Bro. More news and information is coming up next on WGNS, your good neighbor station since 1947.
Broadcasting from the Middle Tennessee Electric Studios, MTE has provided light, comfort, and connection to our community since 1936. As your trusted energy advisor, MTE is always here to help. Connect online or download the My MTE app. 